Man, is it a good morning so far? Woo! Awesome, awesome. Hey, uh, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time at Lakeside, or maybe it's your first time in a long time, we'd love to meet you out in the lobby. We've got some live music afterwards. And so don't rush out. Hang out for a while. Relax. I've been relaxing a little more these days than I was this summer. I'm glad that summer vacation is over, not because my kids are in school now. But because we moved last summer, and I hate moving. Does anybody hate moving? I mean, come on. Can I get an amen? I mean, I'm serious. It's just like, holy moly, moving stinks. And I, I think I've been a little bit traumatized because my wife and I have moved about 17, 18, 19 times in our marriage. And I have to go back and count. A lot of them are local moves. A lot of them when we were younger. But I just don't like moving very much. You know, the packing and the boxes and the lifting and the twisting and the breaking of stuff. And uh, in this spring, my mother-in-law moved up from Southern California with my sister-in-law, and we decided that we we're going to have a multi-generational home. And so we're all living in this house together, and it's wonderful, and it's amazing, and uh, it's very generous of her to allow us to kind of jump in there with her, and we're all together. And yet, um, this house has something about it that's a challenge, and that is the driveway. The, dri- the driveway is Mount Everest, okay? And um, I'm looking at that going, how am I going to move our stuff in there? And so I actually went over when she had her movers moving her stuff in, and I felt my heart rate just go up a little bit as I'm getting close to the house, and I saw the moving truck. I think I saw a moving truck, like a U-Haul truck, in the third level of Dante's Inferno when I read it in high school. Wasn't there a moving truck in there? It's like moving is just... And so I, I walked up to the house and, and I felt my heart rate going up and I had this weird blank stare on my face, I guess, because my wife said, you have PTSD from all of our moves, don't you? You need to sit down. And it was, it was a little traumatizing. And so we started to have this dialogue about whether or not we were going to get some movers to help with the heavy stuff. And we're always like, no, nah, we can get our friends and just get everybody around and I'll do it myself and all this stuff. And just like a knucklehead guy, okay, I'm just saying. And, um, and, and we finally broke down. And right before right before we moved, we hired some movers. And I was nervous. Are they going to be good? Are they going to break stuff? What are they going to do? And they were phenomenal. And I had this amazing moment where my joy began to just rise up within me. And it crescendoed as I stood at the bottom of that driveway. And I watched those three big giant guys that were younger than me struggle to get my fridge to the top. And I thought, oh, this is great. And then they strapped these things on and they put them under the fridge. And it was like a CrossFit strongest man in the world competition with the grunting and the moaning and the breathing and the one stare at a time. And it was just a beautiful moment where I watched them struggle. And I thought, we made the right decision. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just saying. And, 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 and it, was, it, it was great. And I, I, I'm talking about a first world problem here, right? <laughs> like Jamie said in the video earlier, uh, we're, not, we're not going hungry. We had, we had clean water. But as, as I was thinking about this week, I thought, you know, sometimes in life we actually do feel really helpless. Maybe some of you here, maybe, maybe some of you over in, in the family room. You're in a season of life where you, you feel helpless and, and hopeless. 
This week, I've been carrying around these uh, Connect cards that we have you fill out. Last week, we had about four times as much, uh, as many Connect cards as we, as we normally have. And many of you were asking for prayer. A lot of them had names. A lot of them didn't have names. And, um, and it was a beautiful thing to be able to carry these with me and to, to be praying for these. But it was also heartbreaking as well. It was heartbreaking because it was just a a dose of reality that among those that were here last weekend and just those and just those that filled out the cards, which I think it's for every person that filled one out, there's probably five that, that, that easily could have. In fact, I think we all probably could. It's a reminder that very real pain exists right here in our midst. That very real pain exists and that there is this need to experience more of God's transformational power and his incredible love to allow God to be God in us and through us. We have this need to have a God who is uncensored where nothing gets in the way of his ability to change our lives and to change the lives of those around us. This is our mission at Lakeside Church. Transformation is what we are about. We just believe that God actually still changes lives, that no one is beyond his reach for that. And so we're in a series right now. We're in week two of God Uncensored, and it's about the power of God. And we're just sort of asking the question, what would it be like for you? What would it be like in your community In your oikos, if God's power was evident, if it was uncensored, we use this term oikos around Lakeside Church. It's simply the Greek word for extended household. You know, your extended household, those 8 to 15 people on average, depending on whether or not you're more of an extrovert or more of an introvert, but you have about 8 to 15 people in your life. Maybe they're at work, in the neighborhood, some in your family, some at church maybe. And these are the people that God has placed you in relationship with. This is your world. This is your mission field. What would it be like if God's power were more unleashed? What if he was uncensored in your oikos? And we started to talk about the idea that we would experience this thing that Jesus talked about called the, uh, the abundant life or the full life. He says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy. And I think we've all experienced enough of that. No matter what your faith views or your world views are, there are things in this world, in the systems of this world that steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I'm not like that. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, this idea of abundant life, not necessarily who you marry or how successful you are. Those are, those are good things. Those are important things. But But it's really life the way it was meant to be lived. It's you, the very best version of you. What would it be like for your oikos if you were the very best version of you? And so we're on this journey together. And last week we looked into the scriptures and we saw in Mark chapter 4 that the disciples were also on this journey 2,000 years ago with Jesus. And they're watching him. They're watching God uncensored. They're watching the abundant life right in front of them. And they get into the boat and they go off on this journey in the lake. And there's a storm and they're, they're screaming at Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And he wakes up and he calms the storm. 
And I'd like to just sort of continue the narrative from there. And you can follow along in Mark chapter 5. This story is also in Matthew chapter 8. It's in Luke chapter 8. But I kind of just want to sort of tell it to you this morning. It's an interesting story. It's a weird story. In fact, this is one of the weirdest stories in all of the scriptures. And there are some weird stories in the Bible. And sometimes if you have a physical Bible, or maybe they have this on the, on the version too, where every once in a while, the editors of the Bible put a title in, like Jesus and the woman at the well, or Jesus and Nicodemus, or Jesus heals the blind man, or whatever. If I was editing the Bible and I got to put my title in there, I would have said, this is the story of the nude dude in a rude mood, because it is weird. And so they're out on the lake, and Jesus calms the storm, and they're They're a little bit freaking out, and they say, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And I have to believe that at that point, things got really quiet in the boat. The water's calm, and maybe they just heard the sound of the oars on the boat, on the water. And they're probably reflecting on what just happened. What does that mean for them? If this kind of power is among us, what does that mean for us? And they're probably a little irritated because their lives were in jeopardy. And they get to the other side and they pull the boat up and they don't really want to be there. I mean, this is the other side of the lake. This is where the pagans live. And Jesus is always taking us into these weird places. But I guess we're here and I guess at least we'll get a breather. It's nice to have our feet on dry land. And then a smell hits them that reminds them that they're not home. And they look up and they notice that there's about 2,000 pigs on the hillside. And they think to themselves, why does Jesus always do this? Bringing us into these weird places where we're not supposed to be. And then, out of nowhere, they hear this voice. They hear this yell. They hear this shriek. And they look up and they see something that they've never seen before, that they never expected to see. It's a crazy man running straight at them. And his hair is wild and his eyes are piercing. And he's screaming down this hill. And they notice that his naked body is filled with cuts and bruises. As he gets a little bit closer, they notice that his neck had a mark where there was a chain once around it, that his wrists had the same marks, that his ankles were marked up as well. They half expected to see some Roman centurions kind of coming over the ridge after this guy. Was he an escaped prisoner? I mean, what's the story with this guy? But when they don't see anybody coming, they, they sort of start to have a defensive posture. And they're getting ready for impact. And Peter's ready. He's ready to go. I mean, he's, he's the one with the sword, right? Later on, he's going to almost chop somebody's head off. And so he's got his hand on the handle. And he's, he's ready to pull out the sword. Matthew's ready, too, because you don't collect taxes from your people working for the enemy and not know how to fight. And so Matthew's rolling up his sleeves. He's ready to rock. James and John, they're a little bit more spiritual about it. They just are thinking, maybe we should just call down fire from heaven and fry this guy, you know. Judas is wondering, why do I keep on hanging out with these knuckleheads? He doesn't know. 
Thomas doesn't believe it. He's kind of thinking, this isn't really happening. And then when it is happening, he's a little sarcastic. Are you kidding me? And Philip, he's, he's just a nice guy. He's just sweet, you know. And he, he kind of leans over and he's about to say to Jesus, uh, are you going to take care of this, Jesus? Do you realize what's coming straight at us? I mean, you calm that storm. Can you take care of this nut? But just then, they hear a second scream. A scream that they haven't heard before. Really, it's a yell. It's a command. Jesus had commanded with this voice of authority, come out of him. And they turn and they look at Jesus. And they turn back and they see the man. And just as the man's nearing the group, he falls down on his knees. And he cries out in this voice that sends a shiver down their spines. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of, the God, son of the God most high? Don't torture me. Don't send me out of this area. Don't send me into the abyss. And then a weird story gets even weirder. As this voice asks to be sent into this group of pigs. Jesus had said, what is your name? And in ancient Near Eastern literature, when you knew somebody's name, you had the upper hand. So I imagine what the original readers were thinking at this point with this commanding voice, what is your name? They say, my name is Legion. And Jesus sends them into the pigs. And the disciples look up and they watch as about 2,000 pigs rush down the hillside into the water and they drown. The people who are tending the pigs, they're, they're out of there. They're not sticking around to see the rest of the show. They're gone. They rush back to the town. And then, just as the storm was quieted, it's just quiet. And you sort of hear this breathing. This breathing of a man whose life had been in shambles. And he's at their feet, curled up in a ball. And the man, maybe, maybe he's thinking, it, is this it? Did, did something finally happen? It, 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 is, it, is it over? Because I've always hoped that it would be over. And, and, and I don't remember a lot of what was going on, but I, I knew that there were times when I thought it was over, and, and then it wasn't over. And maybe, just because of the character of Christ, maybe he picked the man up and he took him over to the water and he started to wash his wounds. And then maybe Jesus went to the disciples and just started collecting a piece of clothing from the different disciples. And one by one, as he handed this man articles of clothing, what the disciples saw was a restored heart, humanity restored. There is dignity back in a man's life who had lost everything. I, I, I have to wonder if the first readers of this story, when Matthew's story went out, when Mark's story went out, when Luke's story went out to the various audiences, or as it was passed down verbally before that, did the original readers find themselves in the story? Did they see some of their story woven into the fabric of what was going on with this man? 
Had they ever felt hopeless and helpless? I have to wonder, 2,000 years later, as we, as we engage this narrative, do we find ourselves at all in the story? I mean, it just seems that every single person that Jesus comes across, he has this phenomenal way of finding the pain and also being the hope. And the disciples are watching all of this. They're watching God in action. They're watching abundant life, true humanity in action. And I don't know, were they taking notes? Were they, were they considering what was going on here? Were they learning to fish for people to change the world? Is this how it's done? Do we just, do we just enter into the messiness, the craziness, the difficulty where there's questions? This guy didn't even express any faith in Jesus. He didn't clean up his act. He was completely helpless, helpless and God comes to him. No one wants to say it, but I, I know that they're, they're thinking it. They're thinking again, who, who is this man? The wind and the waves obey him. The evil forces obey him. I mean, who are we in the presence of? Well, the, the people from the town, they, they come back. And the, the people that were hurting the pigs, they come back with people from the town. And collectively, I have to imagine that their, their jaws just drop when they see this man who they had chained like an animal, who could not be controlled, who they left for dead among the dead. When they see him clothed and sitting in his right mind. I mean, what, was he somebody's dad? Were his parents there? Siblings? I mean, who was this guy? What's his story? What was the community? Who was in his oikos? There has to be a narrative of brokenheartedness all the way down in this guy's story. We don't get the backstory, but what we get is something else. Something that, quite frankly, for me, over the years reading this story has always frustrated me. And that's that the townspeople tell Jesus, they plead with Jesus to go away. Go away from us, Jesus. I mean, can you imagine there's this phenomenal transformation of life in your midst? Somebody that you probably loved and cared about at one time. Maybe you've written them off and their life has been changed. And you're like, no, Jesus, just go away. I, I, just, I just don't get it. It's just frustrating to me. And I, it, the, 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 the scriptures say that they were afraid. I mean, the disciples were afraid out on the boat. And now these, these people are afraid. Fear tends to drive people away from hopeful moments, from opportunities. And they just didn't see that there was perfect love among them, that the, the perfect love that they experienced could drive out the fear. And so they asked Jesus to leave. They didn't understand. They didn't want to understand. And Jesus leaves, and they unknowingly censor the possibilities for their lives and their community. What else could Jesus have done among them? Naturally, the guy that uh, Jesus healed, he wants to go with him. I mean, right? I mean, wouldn't you? Let's get into the boat. You changed my life, Jesus. Let's, I'm with you. Let's Let's be in this relationship together, man. I, I, I know we're, we're different and your followers are over here and I've been over here. But man, I, just, I, I, want, I want to be a part of this community. I want to get into the boat. And Jesus does something strange. He says, no, 
no, you're not going to follow me. Your boat's actually going in a different direction. In fact, you're, I want you to do something else. This is what he says to him. He says to the man, go to your extended household and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the ten cities of that region how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Jesus didn't tell him to go to Bible school. He didn't tell him to have a Bible study. Those things are great. He just sent him off as a missionary. Hey, go tell people that you're in relationship with. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Now, if, if I'm one of the disciples and I'm, and I'm watching all this and we're getting back into the boat and we're headed back over the lake, I probably have some time to reflect, to think about what just happened. I mean, this is a strange experience and I'm going to kind of take some time before we get back home to just think about some things. And so let me, let me encourage you to, to think about some things. The first one is this. No one is beyond the reach of God's transforming power. Now, it seems simple enough. And we're like, okay, yeah, great. Until we begin to really engage that with our emotions and our heart and we think about our child. Your child is not beyond the transforming power of God. Your parent is not beyond the transforming power of God. You are not beyond the transforming power of God. I wish we had time. I wish we could sort of turn this into a classroom. We would, we would uh, take some time to get into some of the historical embedded weirdness of this narrative. The fact that this guy was so far removed from Jesus. There's so many red flags. The graveyard, the nakedness, the cutting, the pigs, the, the pagan society. I mean, talk about a guy that was just out there, just gone. And Jesus enters into a very, very dark place. And he shines light in that dark place. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite uh, parts of Scripture. I often go back to Psalm 139. Some friends and I, a few years ago, we memorized Psalm 139 together. In verse, verses 7 through 10, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Maybe some of you today, you feel like you've just been fleeing from God. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, I mean the lowest part of life, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. I love that. The right hand, the hand that symbolizes strength and authority, and power. You're going to hold on to me during this journey. You're going to hold me fast, man. You are with me, God. I may not feel you with me. I may not experience your power in my emotions right now, but man, you are a God that is never going to leave. You're always pursuing me. Maybe some of you need to know that God is holding you fast. Maybe some of you, you need, to, you need God to hold you like this, or you know somebody that 
You just need God to just gently hold you right now in your life. No one is beyond the transformational power of God. I, I, I also might be reflecting, if I'm one of the disciples, on the fact that maybe, maybe our healing leads to mission. Again, this guy, he, he goes out on the mission field, and he's not experienced. He didn't, he didn't go through some big discipleship class. Not that those are bad. We have those here at Lakeside. We love those. We teach those. We embrace those. We want those. But he just, he sends this man out to tell his story. Henry Noun wrote a, wrote a great book that I read last summer called The Wounded Healer. And then he just, he talks about the fact that our pain is never wasted with God. The fact that he will take our story, he will take our pain, and he doesn't scrap it. He doesn't, he doesn't put it to the side, and instead he redeems it. He pulls it forward, and he actually uses it with power to be able to help be a healing agent in somebody else's life. Your story has power to it. You may not feel like it right now, because maybe you're in the dark part of your journey, and God's just, he's just holding you right now. But he wants to use your story. He wants to use it for his glory, for the transformation of lives. In this book, Henry Noun says, The great illusion of leadership is to think that people can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. You have a story to tell. All of those prayer cards that we've been praying over this week, they're all stories. And eventually they need to be told, and they need to be told well. People need to be invited into your story because it is phenomenal and it is powerful. This guy was the first missionary to the Gentile world before Peter, before the Apostle Paul. In fact, the disciples will circle around and the early church will circle around and they will find Christ followers in this region because of this guy. Because this guy said yes to the invitation of Christ to go out and just tell his story. Last week, I had a friend of mine here named Katie, and she told her story so beautifully about what God has done in her life. And I invited another friend to come this morning. So would you help me welcome Wade Vetter, my friend? So Wade has been around Lakeside for a while and uh, is a part of our men's ministry. And um, just he's become a leader among us and has been able to tell his story, and God's used him. And so uh, I invited him this morning to come and share. And, and Wade, I know that you've had some dark chapters of your story. And so would you share just a little bit of kind of the dark side of your story? Yeah. I'd, my, the darkness of my story, I found myself in about five years ago. I came to Christ here through Lakeside in 2001. My family and I moved uh, up here in 2002, got plugged into the church, um, helped serve, got involved in small groups, was really trying to live what I thought at the time was the Christian life. As life got in the way, as, as work became more important, uh, finding myself more um, involved in what people thought of me in terms of my position or I was seeking approval through those that I was working with. I wasn't seeking for that 
with God, with my walk with Him. My darkness culminated with me sitting my wife down on our couch in June of 2010, and I sat down and I told her that I'd had an affair with three women that I'd worked with. And I found myself in this dark spot, not just by myself, but I've brought my wife and our family into this tremendous amount of pain and hurt. So, huge dark chapter in your life and in your marriage, in your family. Um, But you're not there anymore. Something changed. Something's different. And tell us about how you begin to get out of that dark chapter. It took a lot of argument, a lot of questioning, and it was with God as far as what am I here for? Are you real? Is what your word says true? It was a lot of of questioning, even to the point of, of expecting God. Prove to me that you are who you are, that you can do what you do. I mean, the to think that I'm challenging God to prove himself. Eventually, he showed himself to me enough, and I, I got to the point where I was tired of, of running. I was tired of arguing. I was tired of, of fighting God that I, I just said, I'm done. I'm tired. I can't do this alone. If you have a better way, then I'm all in. Give it to me. I, I'm yours. Do with me with whatever you want. If you mm. tell me to go, I'll go. Mm. And, and, and he begins to show you the better way, a different way. And you begin to slowly, and, and this is not an overnight thing. Um, this is something that, that took time, and you and Michelle are in this together. And, and you know, she's 100% saying, share your story. Don't pull any punches. This is for God's glory. And, um, and so you start to see slowly God's grace and his power and the changes in your life. So talk about some of those changes. And, and you know, um, here and, and over in the family room, there's, there's got to be people that are in dark chapters. We, we have life to deal with, and we make decisions and things happen. And so how would you encourage others that are going through dark chapters in their life? First and foremost, I, I didn't mention this the last couple services, and, and honey, I apologize. Um, my wife is by far the strongest, most courageous woman that I will ever meet in my life. For her to, for her to be willing to put up with me and for what I've done um, shows nothing but the grace of God in my life. Through this, this process, God got me to the point in a small group one time where this teacher had said, where are the men in the church? The challenge was, where are the men that are leading small groups? Where are the men that are leading prayer life? Where are the men that are leading in the children's ministries? Where are the men when we need people to volunteer and to serve? And, and it was a call that I heard God saying, I'm going to use you. to work in the life of men in this church. And, and he has put this call in my life, and, and it comes from that command from Christ that to love your neighbor as yourself. I, I have this desire to want to know men the way that God knows them and to help them through their walk. And God's put me in a position to lead a small group. He's put me in an opportunity to serve in the men's ministry. He's given me the platform here, but then also at our men's conference he gave me a couple of years ago to be able to use my story, to use my hurt, to show that no matter what kind of damage you do in your life, redemption is possible. Mm 
that there is redemption through Christ, but it takes the submission. It takes giving your life over to him and finally saying, I can't do it by myself. The encouragement would be, don't forget that. No matter where you are in your life, no matter how dark that pit is, God is there with you. He will find you there. He will work with you there. He will pull you out. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Wade. Appreciate it. So there's this, um, there's this moment at the end of the Gospels where Jesus is risen. And he's got this strange kind of vibe, this strange kind of body going on. He could go through walls. He appears and then he disappears. Sometime, somehow he can cloak himself. And if you're walking along the road, you might not recognize him until he wants you to recognize him. And, and he finds himself in the upper room with the disciples. And he's got the wounds the marks are still in his wrists. His side was pierced, and it's, it's still there. He, he actually invites his disciples to, hey, you can touch this. This is real. In his feet. We have a wounded healer for a God. And he takes the systems of this world, turns them upside down, and says, this is how power works. It's actually going to work through the meek and the weak and the hurt, and those who have gone through pain. Because he takes that, like he did with the Apostle Paul, he says, my power is perfected in weakness. Actually, my grace is sufficient for you. And it's sufficient for you as well. May we be a community that believes in the redemptive power of God to take our stories, to redeem our pain, and to use them so that God's transformational power can be completely uncensored in our midst. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, thanks for your amazing love for us, that you left heaven and came into this world, a weak baby, that you experienced the pain of what it means to be human. You just, you get us, God, and we're thankful for that. And God, may you continue to uh, make stories like Wade's story just multiply over and over again in our midst. God, in this church and, 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 and in everybody that is represented by Lakeside Church, God, we long to see you working just how you want to work, uncensored, unhindered, that you would be you among us. And we invite you to do that. We praise you in your name. Amen.